If you don't mind grabbing your copy of God's Word or the one in the pew pocket and turning to John 17, we're going to continue looking at the high priestly prayer. And uh, if you'll notice, just by looking at uh, the chapter, the verses 6 through 19 is the bulk of this prayer. You know, one thing that I love about children is they're all different. They have their different personalities, uh, their different quirks, and just a way about them. And they're all sweet, and every mother and father love their children dearly. And uh, definitely don't have favorites, but uh, some are more drawn to us than others. And as, as dads, that's not always that way when they're young. So when there's one that draws nears to you when they're young, you tend to really love that. And Titus, for me, is one of those. And he's not the smartest kid. I'm just going to be honest with you. I love him, but he's not smart. Well, he'll make up for that in his looks, but uh, he's mistaking a one word for both words. So Titus doesn't know yes. He knows no. And not in a disrespectful way. You'll say, Titus, would you like a drink? No. But that's yes. And, and Titus loves that word. But let's just pretend for a moment that Titus knows yes. And uh, Miss Vonda sits him in her her lap this morning as he goes to Sunday school and she says, oh, Titus, your hair looks so nice. Did you comb your hair? And Titus says, yes. He says, Titus, it looks like you still have a little bit of breakfast on your cheek there. Did, did, you, did you eat breakfast all by yourself? Titus could say, yes. And Titus, did you clothe yourself? Your shirt is so nice and your shoes, and they all match so nicely. Did you, did you dress yourself this morning? And Titus says, yes, which is not uncommon for a child of that age. The reality is that Titus did eat. He did get himself dressed, and he did uh, have his hair combed. But Titus didn't do that outside of his mother. And really, that's true of us as children of God. As disciples of Christ, we realize, though we are progressing in this life, growing in our holiness, growing in our fellowship with the Lord, that is really the work of God in us. And outside of Jesus Christ, outside of the Father working in us, it is difficult and near impossible for a disciple of Christ to follow and obey rightly. And really, we're going to kind of glean from that thought this morning as we look at the disciples of Christ. Last week in verses 1 through 5, we see one petition, and that's for Jesus alone, and that's for his glory. So we looked at the glory of Christ, and today we're looking at the disciples of Christ. Verses 6 through 19, the bigger portion of this prayer is given to the disciples there at that time, those that the Father had given him. But we can still take from that and apply that today to the disciples of Christ today. For those of us who have truly come to know him as our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord, our Savior. And there is a question I'd like to ask, though, before we jump in, is why is he praying for his disciples right now? I think there's two important things for us to know right before we jump in, that he is well aware of what's about to come. He even told them. Look back at verses, uh, chapter 16, verses 29 through 32. What he says, or look at what the disciples say. His disciples, at the end of his 
farewell discourse say, ah, now you are speaking plainly, and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. We're just a few hours from that point. He tells them this. We know from other accounts that, that Peter would argue against this. But they're about to abandon deny the one that they've come to believe in and so he prays for his disciple but also he knows what's coming further down the road the mission that he's about to give them the call to be their his witnesses brother rick read before his pastoral prayer acts 1 8 and you will be my witnesses he knows that the work ahead of them is great. So he asked the Father to guard them, to protect them, to sanctify them as he sends them out into the world. So that being put in context, it's important for us to see a few things. First, we're going to look at the disciples of Christ in verses 6 through 10. Later, we'll look at the disciples' security and purity later on. But verses 6 through 10, the disciples of Christ. These verses clearly point out marks of a true disciple. Marks of a true disciple. And I want to look at these six things that distinguish these men, these people, from the rest, rest of the world. First, number one, they were entrusted to Christ. They were entrusted to Christ. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Skip down to verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I think it's important for us to understand that a disciple of Christ was first entrusted to Christ. Because first the Lord chose them. See, we're all, because of the sin of Adam, headed in one direction. We are of this world, and in our sin, we have one course, one direction. Paul highlights this in Ephesians chapter 2. Would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to look at verses 1 through 3, a very familiar passage to us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. It's in these verses here that we discover the projection, the, the path that we all take. And unless something drastically happens, this is our destiny. Destruction. Just as Judas is referred to, the son of destruction. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, And you were dead. In your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all 
once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This describes every single soul. This even describes the disciples of Christ prior to them being entrusted to Christ. We are all headed towards this journey, but verse 4, things change. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, if you flip back to verse chapter 1, verse 4, he has chosen even us, even as he has chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God chooses us out of this world and gives us and entrusts us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. So first, entrusted to Christ. Second, revealed. The Father is revealed by Christ. Verse 6, I have manifested your name. He prays to the Father. I have manifested your name. To manifest something means to reveal make clear or make known. This refers back to verse 4 in our prayer, where uh, Jesus' prayer where he says, I glorified you on earth, having finished the work with which you have given me. Part of Jesus' work was to reveal the Father to his disciples. Speaking back to that sin, sin blinds us. Our nature who we are puts blinders and we don't see the beauty and splendor and glory of who God is. We don't know who he is truly unless he is revealed. And Christ revealed the Father to his disciples. It says in John 1:18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He Jesus Christ has made him known. He has made him known. It says he's made his, he manifested his name. When someone's name is revealed, it's their character is shown. He not only spoke about his father, but he demonstrated what the father was like. His disciples ask him at one point, well, how do we know? He says in uh, chapter 14, to Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ reveals the Father because he is God in flesh. Reveals him perfectly and truly to his disciples. So, entrusted to Christ, the Father is revealed by Christ. And we see that Jesus Christ teaches his disciples. Going back to verse 6 through 8, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. These words that Jesus spoke were the Father's words. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. The words of God are Jesus' words. But even more clearly, the gospel message. In Mark chapter 1, it says, as he began his ministry, he went out and preached the gospel. 
as he's with his disciples in Mark chapter 1, he kind of goes along and at one point he says, let's go out and let me preach because that is why I came. Jesus has always been the miracle worker, but Jesus was mainly the preacher and teacher. He had a message to preach. He had something to teach, and it was the word of God. That it does not change for the disciple of the day, we still trust that Jesus teaches us. We pray in a right understanding of Psalm 119, 33 and 34. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Jesus still teaches his disciples today. Jesus reveals the Father, but reveals the word, the gospel truth. It says, hey, come to know. If you're familiar with the gospel stories, it seems like these guys are constantly struggling. I like the fact that he says it, makes it clear, come to know. These words are truth. We could even go on to say, come to believe. Because at first, as these things were happening, as storms were stopped just by words spoken, they said, who is this that has this authority? Something happened. Now they've come to believe in Jesus Christ. They've come to understand this is not some natural man that we we have we have know all these things about this is God in flesh truly it says they have believed that you sent me they've believed in his humanity because they've seen him they've seen the man sleep they've seen the man eat but they've come to know that he is from God and is God they've heard the word teach they've seen the miracles happen the red the dead raised to life They've come to believe that he was sent by God. It's this truth that he is the son of God. That the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. In John 5, 18, it says, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. True confession True belief in Jesus Christ is understanding truly God and truly man. This is the one that we put our faith and trust in. And for the disciples, they've come to this. And he explains as he's praying to his father, they have believed in me. We see that also a mark of a disciple is one that Jesus intercedes for. Jesus is getting to the point, listen, he loves the world, but he intercedes for only one, those that are his, the disciple of Jesus Christ. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He loves the world, but he only intercedes on behalf of his people. He's praying for his disciples. Right now, he's positioned at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding on your behalf and my behalf if we're in Christ. It's important to know that those in Christ are interceded on his behalf. And then lastly, glorify the Father. 
says, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. We looked at this last week, then, and applying the glory that Christ asked from his Father, we are caught up in that. Our purpose, our design in this world is to bring glory to God. That's your sole purpose. That's my purpose. Only in Jesus Christ are we therefore able to bring glory to God. Through love, through delight, and through obedience now. Because of the work done in us. But he says, they have brought glory to me. I am glorified in them. So the disciple of Christ has been entrusted to Christ by the Father. Christ reveals the Father. They've been taught by Christ. They've believed in Christ, interceded on behalf of Christ, and they glorify Christ. So, I must ask the question, am I a disciple of Christ? We're all following someone. Naturally, we follow the world. That's the course. That's the path. They set it out. They say, this brings you joy. This brings you contentment. We run with it. We look at, for examples, and, and whether it's, it's business ideas or, or, or heroes in, this, in politics. It doesn't matter where we look, but we're looking to someone and following someone. But those in Christ, they follow Christ. A true disciple of Jesus Christ follows Christ. Listen, who is interceding on your behalf? The path that the world has leads to destruction. And one day, final judgment. And at that point, you will be in the heavenly courtroom on your own. For those in Christ, Christ is at your side. So are you a disciple of Christ? Listen, this is not a silly matter. This is a very serious heart matter. Are you following Jesus Christ? Disciple of Christ. Believer this morning. It's not an easy road. It calls for self-denial in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He speaks to the self-denial. That is the Christian life. You're constantly denying your pleasures, your desires, and replacing those with the Lord. Putting His plan, His purpose, His mission up front. Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you love the Word of God as a disciple of Christ? The Gospel. Let's look at this prayer. Verses 11 through 16, let's read this. It's a whole. He says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, here's the first petition for his disciples. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have 
my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that they that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We look at the disciples' security. Really, we have this eternal security that Jesus speaks about. Keeping them. Another name for that that we hear is perseverance of the saints. It's God keeping those that he has saved and redeemed. But I want to make a note for a second here. Brother Rick just preached a sermon a few weeks back on those who were self-deceived. There's some that will follow false prophets and be deceived by them and there's some that are self-deceived he mentioned that it's almost even more dangerous to be self-deceived because our inner man thinks more highly of itself than it ought to proverbs 16 2 describes that we always think of ourselves better than we ought to so often we are self-deceived and i don't want the soul in this room that has been self-deceived to think they are eternally secured if they have yet to be bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, yet to come to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. This is only for those that are Jesus Christ. It's a serious place to be at this point. But he goes on to say, these are my sheep in John 10. Please turn to John 10 with me. I have very similar thinking here, thoughts that Jesus is saying in the Father keeping them, my sheep. John 10, we'll look at verse 27 through 30. He asks for the Father to keep them as he goes back to him. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Yet again, his sheep know his voice, and there is absolutely no one that can snatch them from his hand. And he speaks to the Father's power. There's no one. They can match the Father. For those in Jesus Christ will remain in Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful prayer that we have where he's interceding on our behalf, calling the Father to be faithful to keep his disciples. And he does. And he does. But we have an example of those who would be disguised as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Judas was one. I mean, think three years of ministry, three years of walking with Jesus Christ, three years of hearing the words of Christ, three years of hearing the gospel preach, three years of seeing the miracles, the storm stopping, lives coming from the grave, food provided for thousands, and yet he never believed. It's to fulfill the scripture, but Judas made that choice he's the son of destruction 
There are those that would love to apply that title to themselves and some that do apply that title to themselves, a disciple of Christ, but only those in Christ will remain to the end. John speaks about this in 1 John. In this epistle, there's, there's obviously a church that is, that is broken. A group of them have left them and begin to teach things contrary to that of the apostles' teaching, and he encourages them reminds them, look, if this is in you, you are in him. These tests along the way of seeing if you're truly in Christ so that they may know that they have eternal life. And at one point in 1 John 2, 19, he speaks of this group. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. You know of that individual. They've sat in these pews. They've been in your Sunday school class. They've been in your lives. You grew up with them. They applied that title, a disciple of Christ, to their name, but no more are they walking with him. For those in Christ Jesus, the Father keeps them, and no one will snatch them away. So we have this eternal security, but there's also this earthly security that he speaks about. This earthly security. I've given them your word, and the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Satan. This world that is opposed to Christian faith. It should not surprise us every time that people are offended by the message of the gospel. The gospel message is offensive. You can't get around it. When you call someone a sinner, that naturally offends someone. But that's part of the gospel message. The world hates Believers in Jesus Christ. Because who we are, we are followers of Christ. He says in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hates you. He gives it to us here. Because we're not of the world, the world hates us. And Jesus Christ, knowing he's leaving these men, calls for the Father to protect them as the world will be against them. To protect them. So are you secured? We love security. I mean, we love security. We pay a lot of money each month for security. Some of us have rooms that we pay a lot of month each month to keep our junk in, all right? We love to have that kind of security. We love, we love security in our home with, with home security where we have cameras and all those things. We love financial security, all right? We love for our, our bank accounts to be secured, our social uh, security numbers to be secured. We love for our children to be secured, but your soul, is your soul secured in Jesus Christ? Are you in him? 
for the believer in Jesus Christ this morning, consider the truth that you are his. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you could say, yes, I believe in God the Father sending God the Son to pay the ransom for my sin in his death, burial, and resurrection that outside of him there is no means of coming in right relationship with him. I repent that this is who I am and cling to Jesus Christ. You are secured. Doubts invade the mind, but stay anchored to the, fi- to the fact that you are in Jesus Christ. Stay anchored to the fact that he has done the work for you. We often do much internal investigation and looking at ourselves and become so overwhelmed by our salvation. Am I a believer or not? He gives us assurance. It's his work, his accomplishment. Robert Murray Michan says, For every look at self, take ten at Christ. Look to Christ, dear believer. Look to the Father who keeps his people. Look to Christ. So the disciples of Christ, the disciples' security, and now the disciples' purity. Let's look at verses 17 and 19. The disciples' purity. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The word sanctified means to set apart to dedicate a person or thing to the service of God and to dedicate as a sacrifice to the Lord. Set apart. For the disciple of Christ, they are set apart and Jesus Christ intercedes on their behalf to pray that the Father would sanctify them in his truth. His word is truth. How are we sanctified? Well, there's a sense where we are cleansed of our sin. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul writes, And such were some of you, but you were washed and were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Hebrews 10, 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are made holy in Christ Jesus. But we are to remain holy, to remain pure, to remain unstained. And the Lord continues that work in us, continues that work by truth, by truth, by doctrine. He continues that work. By the word of God, he continues that that truth. It's by that renewing of the mind in Romans 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect the Christian life takes the mind it demands you to think to read to study 
to consider the deep truths about who God is, His, His Word, and apply it to your, to your life. It transforms our thinking. It transforms our actions. It transforms our words. It purifies us. Because eternally, we're defiled otherwise. He purifies us according to his truth. It's so very important. He's praying and interceding on behalf of these disciples because of what's about to come and what they're about to do. The mission at hand. They're to remain pure. When they're challenged to do what the world says to do, will they do it or will they not? Will they stand up for truth? Will they be faithful to the gospel message? Will they buckle underneath the threats of being beaten or killed? Jesus Christ prays on behalf of his disciples that they would remain pure because he sent them out into the world. Here's a beautiful illustration of Jesus' prayer being answered in the life of his disciples. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Verses 19 through 31. We're going to read this chunk of scripture. Peter and John had healed a man outside of the gate. They have come to question these men. And they've told them to stop preaching the gospel message. Stop preaching Jesus Christ. Eventually, it'll not just be commands, it'll be threats, and they will be beaten. But listen what happens here. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because the people for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, listen to their prayer, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place with which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They heard their Savior pray on their behalf. Father, sanctify them as I send them out into the world. 
Keep them faithful. Keep them unstained by the world. When the threats come, allow them to stand for truth, to be bold, knowing what truth is. Jesus has prayed that on behalf of us, dear believer. He's called us to stay in the world. It doesn't work when we come to Christ, come to faith that we're evaporate and are in the presence of the Lord. That would be great if we didn't have to remain here, but instead we stay because there's a mission that he's entrusted to his disciples. A mission to go and share the gospel, the good news, the truth, to be bold in that mission. But he knows that that mission is dangerous. It's dangerous because we're still in this world. The flesh is weak. Because here's what happens. There's two extremes that happens. There's those that will lean in on the purity and the holiness that we've called to and they would love to retreat. Love to make a compound. Love to not be, be, be bothered with this world. But he's not called us to retreat. He's called us to stand up. To speak for what is right and true and good. Then there's the other extreme of thinking we have been called to see souls transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have called to see disciples made. And at whatever cost we will do that. And they take the schemes of this world and they begin to look like the world. Take the world's gimmicks and entertainment. You'll see across all sorts of churches today that this time is dedicated to entertainment all in the name of trying to make disciples of Christ but defiling what is pure. Jesus knows it's a dangerous mission ahead of his disciples, to remain in this world, to be faithful to the truth and gospel, but to remain pure at the same time. So he prays for the Father to sanctify us. Sanctify us by his word. So do you keep yourself unstained from this world? Have you taken that same form of logic, maybe downplayed the fact that he has called you to right living, to a pure life, and you flirt with the things of this world? Or have you gone back into hiding, living as a monk or a hermit, pushing yourself away? God has called us to be a light amongst our neighbors, our neighborhood, our community, this town, your co-workers, your children. You're called to be a light. He's not taken us out of the world. He didn't pray for the Father to take him out of the world. He sent us into the world and prayed that the Father sanctify us. We're sanctified by the word of God. I encourage you to consider the calling. 
the call to discipleship. Either you're a disciple of Christ or you're not this morning. And you can answer that with honesty. And I pray that you would. The life of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection was not a small thing, but a very powerful thing applied to the life of a believer, transformed. The mind is daily renewed by the truth. He's interceded on our behalf. He's sent us out into the world. Be faithful with the gospel, believer. Be faithful with the truth. Stand for boldness. Mimic our Savior and go to the Father in prayer. Trust in Him. Live for Him, knowing He has kept you and will continue to keep you and guard you. Unbeliever, please consider. Please consider the fact that your sins are great and will lead you to a path of eternal destruction. That is truth. No one escapes that. Look to Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this prayer. That reminds us that we are very dependent upon you, Father. We need your security. We need your protection. We need you to guard us and watch over us. We need you to sanctify us and make us pure. We need you, Father, as we continue in this world to be disciples Disciples of your son, Jesus Christ, with a mission to proclaim and make others disciples. So we ask, Father, for this church body, for those of us in Christ, those of us who would call ourselves disciples of your son, I pray that we would be faithful to that mission. Faithful to be witnesses in our workplaces. Faithful to be witnesses in our neighborhood, faithful to be witnesses in our homes. But, Father, I pray that you would keep us pure, unstained from this world. Father, for the unbelieving heart, I pray that you'd open their eyes, that you would entrust them to your Son, Jesus Christ, and that you would reveal yourself and your Son, Jesus Christ, and their great need for faith and repentance in him. Lord, we love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.